welcome friends the beautiful land of kashmir which once was called heaven on earth and unfortunately it has been an area of tragedies so today we would like to hear from dr meer his story and his journey how has it been welcome dr meer thank you for joining us thank you atmajid i'd like to first thank you uh, and uh, i'd like to also thank god almighty uh, for giving us the blessings uh, and uh, as you said i was born and raised in kashmir any kashmiri would tell you that kashmir is our life it is the raison d'etre for a kashmiri in uzbek language they will call it andijan that is my life wow. and that's what kashmir is for us it's a relatively smaller place not as small as many nations on earth but we are a close knit community mm-hmm. which consists of not only muslim kashmiris but pandit kashmiris who are hindus we also have dogras from jammu we have sikhs we have christians we have buddhists Kashmir has prided itself for being a multi-ethnic, multi-religious, multilingual uh, society. It was the most peaceful region of South Asia until 1947. Um my own life parallels chronologically speaking the travel of Kashmir through the 72 years long history of Indian occupation. I was born the same year when Kashmir was occupied by India. It truly has been a grueling uphill journey for at least for the last four generations starting from my grandfather who was still alive and my grandchildren are living through it too who are here but yet they see the emotional attachment we have with Kashmir. Wow. So they were born in uh, 1947. 1947 yes. What was the region where you were born sir? I was born in the northern district of Kupwara. It's a beautiful valley and some plateaus and my village uh was on top of a plateau and my mother's side came from the valley only 2 miles down uh south uh southeast and my wife comes uh, from about 3 miles further uh away in another valley uh it's also very beautiful so kashmir really is valleys within valleys mm-hmm. surrounded by himalayas from all sides i did my schooling first in my village then my wife's town and then i went to a larger town and then i went to sopor for college god it's a big apple town and then i went to srinagar for medical school and my internship and residency in surgery nice. as you know uh kashmir was it was nothing like i could have uh, i could have even imagined it when i opened my eyes and it still is it is still spectacular in spite of the tragedy of uh, human suffering so how uh, was it when you were yes. in back in school in kapwara how was it growing up what kind of atmosphere was around you by and large kashmir was peaceful but in 1947 my folks tell me that we had to escape our home and go into the woods uh, woods were only about uh, 300 400 yards from my home and then it went for you know dozens of miles further and uh, there was certain uncertainty but uh, in the first few years of my school uh, military camps were uh, you know not too far from us but they were not within the neighborhoods in which we lived and can uh, i ask who who was your family escaping from uh, there was war between indian military that had come in Uh-huh. and on the other side was the azad kashmir uh, you know resistance to the uh, maharaja hari singh of pakistan that were surrounding uh, kashmir who were ancestrally related to us 
so it was an uncommon for them to come but the conflict was between indian forces that had been landed in the kashmir airport uh, and when maharaja fled to uh, to india uh, on indian invitation so and they is... made him sign what they think was as uh, instrument of accession so this is the time of first war exist. the first war between so the in around october or 1947 yes mm-hmm. yeah around there yeah, in october the indian troops landed in kashmir okay so so and they were fleeing so i i think one major confusion particularly when i'm reading uh many of the western or mixed sources on internet the confusion they put both indian troops and pakistani military both as uh, aggressors against uh, kashmiri uh, people in in the land so w- what do your what did your parents uh, tell you when they were taking shelter in 47 they were escaping from indian military uh, they were safe well, from the uh, azad kashmir forces and the uh, uh, the the tribal uh, people that had joined them to throw out uh, not only they had already started fighting azad kashmir against maharaja he was fleeing okay. he really didn't have any uh, moral authority to rule over us he was a tyrant his dynasty was tyrant so they were running away and kashmiris had suffered hugely uh, for approximately 100 years under their uh, tyranny kashmiris had no law last for they didn't even know india at that time wow india invited itself they uh, they um controlled maharaja's movements and uh, but kashmiris would have been you know happier being left alone as an independent uh, state yeah well you know that remains to be seen uh, that opportunity was never given to kashmiris to go for an independent uh, plebiscite uh, i think we would never know what our parents would have done so i would not know what i would have done but i would not have voted for india that's for sure so one thing that i am shocked by on this uh, misinformation there's significant push from indian side of narrative that it was kashmiris who asked india to um come save them from pakistani invasion while it wasn't kashmiri people it was only maharaja the hindu maharaja but i think i would love to hear more directly from you the will of kashmiris back then under the rules of division which necessarily don't mean that they apply uh, to people today uh, kashmiris had the right to choose what state they want to belong and uh, maharaja was a hindu he was he was hated in 1931 there was a huge uprising against him and then that morphed into a rebellion in azad kashmir uh, from the militias there so he was he was running away kashmiris didn't know india from adam No it's it's an absolute lie on the part of the media mostly uh, promoted by Indians uh, and that Kashmiris would have wanted to be uh, with India and they would have wanted India to come and push uh, Azad Kashmir forces Azad Kashmiris and us are the same people uh, in general so they were fighting for us mm. because in the valley Sheikh Abdullah was fighting the political battle on the azad kashmir side it was uh, sardar mohammed ibrahim who also was part of the uh, uh, muslim conference and they all were working together 
to throw uh, the, the Maharaja out. And along comes India unsolicited without any uh, appeal in the minds of Kashmiris. Except so that's Maharaja's how our parents signatures. Are. They, were, they were Indians coming to occupy us. And uh, the Azad Kashmiris and the uh, tribes uh, men, they were trying to come uh, you know, keep us free. So, um, and I think India used Maharaja's signatures on the paper saying that Kashmir has acceded to India in October 47 when there, Pakistan had. Sure. There was a, a well-known scholar here since passed away, Alistair Lamb. He was from Britain. He is one of the uh, most reliable historians. In his book, uh, he wrote, wrote a couple of volumes. Uh, he said uh, there is no actual instrument of accession. Actually, Maharaja and Pakistan had signed a so-called a so-called standstill agreement that will hold off anything joining either India or Pakistan because you know there was so much turmoil in India and Pakistan at that time. And he has a Pakistan Ali Jinnah's government had signed standstill agreement. Indians did not sign a standstill agreement. Okay. That tells you that their designs and their uh, intent, uh, their uh, their desire mm-hmm. to uh, have Kashmir occupied. They had Sheikh Abdullah, who was in prison, imprisoned by Maharaja. Mm-hmm. They had him released so that they could start negotiation with him. So they separately dealt with Sheikh Abdullah on one side. On the other side, they uh, dealt with um, Maharaja Hrishing, who had not made up his mind yet. He was fleeing under the pressure of the, uh, the revolutionary movement from Azad Kashmir uh, territory. So he actually then fled to Delhi. Okay. And they gave power to his 16-year-old son. Wow. Karan Singh. He was 16 back then. I know Karan Singh. 16 years old. 16 years old, yes. And what they did at that time is Maharaja wanted his wife to go back to Kashmir, to Jammu, so that she can take care of her uh, son. But Indians manipulated such that his 16-year-old youngster gets the power. They did not allow his mother even to come from Birla House, where he was, uh, not Birla House, it was in the, uh, it is called the Imperial Hotel in Delhi. And they, they lodged him in the Imperial Hotel. They did not allow him or his wife to go back to Jammu. Wow. That was the, that was the uh, winter capital of Jammu and Kashmir, and so he was felt he felt betrayed by Vallabha by Patel, who had given him guarantees of security, safety, and then finally they would not let him go. He died uh, a death far away in Mumbai. So uh, all yeah. that you know, uh, the story they are weaving, the narrative they are giving, is not based on facts. So. So, so the whole start when they say that Kashmir had asked India's help, Kashmir had never asked India's help at that time. No. India had manipulated its way in to gain control of the region and, and then played those political games with Maharaja till he was out. He, by the time he found out, he was... He was uh... Maharaja on one side, Shaykh Abdullah on the other side, but there was no referendum. You know, it was just they pick and choose whoever they want to. And they uh, made deals with them unbeknown to Kashmiris mm-hmm. without actually asking the will, uh, what the will of the people was. Got it. Probably by the time your earlier 
memories start as a toddler or as a young kid um you were already feeling what was your feel in while going to school did you feel as free citizen or did you feel there was some threat the indian forces were not as pervasive in small neighborhoods but when you got about 4 5 miles from my village you could see indian camps they were you know uh, they were all over kashmir but in my uh, younger school years all we knew that these are foreign forces they are indians okay all i know is a kid would not go close to a camp without adult supervision all we know that kashmiri women would hide when indian soldiers came to town to buy chicken and other things or look for laborers women would uh, go inside the house because of that the was fear. the fear because of the fear of the of occupation forces they are not your people so even though india says those forces were sent to protect they were actually by locals were perceived as occupiers uh, and always always occupiers you could not a thousand feet from you was too uh, too close for an indian soldier to be close to you but we had to live with it wow but by the time i got to high school the intensity got uh, worse because they had by now uh, taken all the political leaders of those who had actually had been dealing with india including sheikh abdullah and his party members in our area they were all rounded up they were in prisons wow as they used these um, uh, techniques when your leader leaders are taken out you really feel the 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 burden of the occupation and you just they are uh, they are heroes of ours sometimes they made them our heroes only because they were fighting with hard for us Yeah. and so kashmiris knew that uh, but it is in college that i finally figured out when i opened my eyes i was only 16 years old or so and uh, we established a uh, students and youth league that was a nationwide movement in kashmir where, where where did you go to college that was in sopor i remember 1963 is when i went to college and i, I joined the students and youth league and became an organizer as a teenager got it Okay. And uh, so we started the uh, working with the senior political leaders uh, who we admired. And so I remember in college we went uh, on a um, it was called NCC camp uh, in which there was some uprising and you know I remember speaking there against the Indian occupation. I was too young to have fully understood it but the emotions were there. Got it. Uh, so that's that's how it was in my childhood. So that's probably around it was 19... it, it was youth league was a very popular movement of the youth professors uh, and uh, uh, college students uh, that mean until 1970s 1970 so now you were in college you were seeing the maybe some of the things were making more sense and yes. some of the politicians even that their interests were not aligning with what like slogans versus the inside political game yeah we we understood at that time but sheikh abdullah was in prison starting in 1953 okay because he had had a deal with them you know uh, because they coerced him into joining india at that time but uh, he was strong enough that and they knew the kashmiri sentiment was so 
nationalistic at this, that time that they had to sign certain degree of uh, internal autonomy uh, uh, document with Sheikh Abdullah. But as soon as the document was a new constitution was made in Kashmir, Kashmir has its own prime minister according to that document. It was called Naya Kashmir, New Kashmir. Its own uh, prime minister, its own president, its own uh, legislature. And that was from the beginning of 40, 40s, uh, 40s to 53. Okay. And in 53, when Sheikh Abdullah told India to make good on its promise to leave, Indians put him in prison. Oh. That is the beginning of the new political movement. And he stayed there until 1962-63. In prison? In prison, yes. Along with all his senior cadre. And they then started bringing these chief prime ministers, uh, uh, Bakshi Gulamhamd and others. And when he came out, he had a uh, uh, discussion and uh, they uh, promised him in the prison, finally, you can go back to Kashmir because they couldn't control Kashmir at that time also. But there was not that much militancy or, you know, uh, freedom fighters were not involved. Uh, people were just getting to colleges and schools and all that. We were getting on our feet, uh, so to say, after the uh, uh, the tyranny of the Maharajas. Um, but in 1965, there was an uprising. Uh, I was, at that time, I had gone to medical school. Okay. I had moved from Sopor to Srinagar. And the we had already been fighting pitch battles with the Indian uh, CRPF forces in Sopor, throwing pelting stones, and uh, they would chase us with uh, big lattes, uh, and they would also, you know, shoot. And that was happening throughout the Valley of Kashmir. Wow. And that happened... Uh, and then 1960s, I was in medical school, but the political movement continued at some pace. But you know, obviously, there was more and more military in more and more areas. Political leaders were getting very restive and, uh, until 1980s. Uh-huh. I left 1974. I came to U.S. So one and, question uh, that for Sheikh um, Abdullah's role seems very controversial. <laughs> And I wanted to get a little clarification. So there's a far more complexity. It seemed like he didn't had his mind clear for a long time, and by that time he was thinking he didn't had power. So what what would you what do you think? I think you're well. You know, it's complex. None of the Indian leaders understood the consequences of what they were doing. Indians thought they would want to get more, but their their destiny was pretty much visible. They had to take 500 some 50 states and club them together by compulsion, but whatever, you know, giving every, promising everybody everything, but actually denying at the end, everybody pretty much uh, then that were the prince, uh, these so-called princely states, Kashmir was one of them. But in Kashmir, I think they had a big appetite. I don't know whether that was for geostrategic purposes or it was a political point of image for them to have a Muslim majority state or a secularist uh, liberal democracy as, as they saw it. But uh, certainly, Sheikh Abdullah was also not very sure because he was coerced all along because of the two big powers, India on one side, obviously bigger and uh, supported by the British there and Pakistan on the other. He probably wanted a separate uh, you know, Kashmir as uh, is. I think he fell into the trap of India. Mm. And India thought they are getting a bargain in this by getting Sheikh Abdullah because he is a popular leader. Right. 
and uh, the, any opposition to him was from Mawlvi Muhammad Yusuf Shah, who was uh, uh, the one of the leaders of the original Muslim conference in Kashmir, in which Sheikh Abdullah was a member too. But he had to flee uh, occupied Kashmir to go to Azad Kashmir, where he became the president of Free Kashmir. Okay. Sheikh Abdullah, on the other hand, had a younger mind. He probably uh, wished well for Kashmiris, but I think he fell into the trap of bigger powers. Mm-hmm. I don't uh, I don't believe that he meant to do Kashmiri's harm right. but he ended up doing us harm right because of his naivety or maybe naivety, some yes. people say because he wanted to be the prime minister yeah and he has spent time in prisons and uh, he comes from a landlocked state uh, Indians were playing a big games Pakistanis are playing a big games Kashmiris were caught as a byproduct of the Indo-Pakistani uh, division and uh, I think with that I think he s- sacrificed Kashmir wow but without meaning to do so without I would knowing believe. what he's doing right even after these years of knowing the aftermath of what happened i think i don't believe that he initially was uh, he was uh, dishonest he was sincere but he didn't have the moral uh, standards in his personality in his character and maybe his mind was saying something else it was the deficiency of character that made him submit to india at different places mm-hmm. they fooled him several times not just once But when he came back out of prison in 60s, they fooled him again. Wow. And he joined the Indian government. Now, this time, not as prime minister, who equal to prime, Pakistani prime minister and Indian prime minister. He had to end up compromising and became simply a chief minister by then because they had changed the uh, constitution of Kashmir by then. So now what happened in 65 and probably you were you were probably in college or medical school back then I had just uh, just joined a medical college and then the college got closed soon after because it became a law and order situation So the war pa- uh, Pakistan India war was going on back then there were int- there was a, a good number of intellectuals that had joined uh, the uh, freedom movement at that time who were willing to go for Uh, armed resistance to Indian occupation. So this freedom uh, movement, which was named militants. Uh, it was intellectuals, but they they were thinking of um, a armed revolution. Yeah, armed rebellion. That is what it was. And they many of them ended up in prisons and tortured. And uh, then they finally were let go once they controlled the, uh, the uprising. Once so that's the internal story. I won't talk about Pakistan-India war. You know that was not directly relevant to us, but although it was fought because of Kashmir, One but second. we are not directly a part of it. Um. So, so at that time they would be called more freedom fighter. They were trying to get their land back from oppression. That actually, that uh, yes, that is exactly right. They did not want to have anything to do with India. And it seems conflict was, it was still allowing regular life cycle, life things to continue while knowing there is a, there's an occupied military sitting on the neck. There were people who were still working, doing things. Yes, you have to live life. Not everybody can go on the roadside and confront a brutal army about 250,000-300,000 and have themselves, it will be a suicide mission. And there were also, seems like there was no consensus for a long time what people should do. There were people who won always, in the beginning there was a significant 
proportion wanting to join Pakistan. There was a significant proportion wanting to be independent, left alone as independent state. Of course, none wanted to join India, but these two were the major options. Options, yes. Um, it was in our blood, it was in our DNA by the time I went to college that we don't want to be in, uh, with India. I mean, that, is, that should have be been known to Indians, to Nehru and others. And that's why they were not doing referendum. There's some, there's some common sense. Indians had not had any referendum to, uh, you know, decide that India, um, British should leave, not Pakistanis. It was a process. And that process culminated in the British leaving. Kashmir has started a process also. But the ultimate will of the people in in quantitative and qualitative manner was never asserted, uh, ascertained because we never were given that one vote per person to go to the polls unfettered, mm -hmm. uncoerced, and go and decide what you want. Right. That's what Indian states got to do, Pakistani states got to do, but Kashmiris did not. Right. Which is United Nations had passed yes. a resolution. And that is, I know what, you know, the United Nations Security Council resolutions, you know, on April 21st, uh, 1948, that said uh, Pakistan should withdraw their forces. Indians should decrease the forces to the point. And they, will, they were allowed only to have almost a, uh, a police force kind of thing in Kashmir, not an occupation force. So that there would be, because they are in charge, somebody has to be in charge of a state. You cannot have chaos, anarchy. That was the only mission they were given by the United States are, you know, indirectly given that keep control over that so that, you know, there's peace. Every society needs policing. But that was not supposed to be an occupation. Right. India used that that uh, permission to create, create an occupation. The more they stayed there, the more they got... Uh, this is probably was in their, you know, in their thinking all along, but uh, to us, uh, that was not that was not acceptable. With regard to the Kashmiris, it has changed, but not substantially. The 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 wave of sentiment. We will never know what Kashmiris will do today, or could have done uh, 70 years ago, or will do whenever the time comes, in five years uh, from now. We can't tell that. A referendum. By a referendum, but that's all Kashmiris are asking for. But they are it's, also changing the demographic. Well, we know uh, that was until now. Right. That was not that was not understood probably by the previous Indian leaders, except in 1947, the Hindutva was a factor all along Indian politics, and I've studied uh, you know pretty uh, you know thoroughly Hindutva. Uh, Swarkar, uh, in, when he gave the word in 1926, I think it was, they were all along a problem for Indian National Congress. But Indian National Congress did not have the will, the courage or the understanding of controlling that internal enemy that was going to destroy India at some point. That's why they went after um, Mahatma Gandhi. They got rid of him. But Indian National Congress allowed these um, Hindu Mahasabha leadership to come in into, into this government. Up until this time, 1914, when they gained enough strength, it was a snake, you know, on their, you know, in their midst. 
and ultimately it has swallowed the international congress all that you know that that uh, secular democracy uh, that's pretty much uh, i think of the past right now but in kashmir i think the uh, thinking right now is let kashmiris decide you don't have to you don't have to have any propaganda about it mm-hmm. if your narrative is correct it'll show up if our narrative is correct it will show um, show the guns to the atrocities so far according to the most credible international uh, human rights agencies the data is that over 100000 people have been killed since 1990 between uh, 8990 that's when it started in earnest there were 600 6000 people who have disappeared and they are in mass graves 6000 6000 they have been made to disappear and that was when since 1990 since 1990 1990 and this is also by amnesty international and every asia watch and others they all know it and united nations human rights council knows it uh, these in these 30 years everybody i'm just not exaggerating it almost everybody has been either personally touched within their family or have had multiple family members killed or lost a friend or friends nearly every kashmiri living or visiting kashmir living in or visiting kashmir to see their family has encountered humiliation and indignity at the hands of the indian forces uh local police sometimes uh, does it but it's mostly indians it happens at the military checkpoints when you are uh, going to your home or going to marketplace it can happen on the roadside it can ha- happen inside your own home i don't want to speak about my family because uh, there are too many that have died and it's very close close family members and there is no sacred space left in kashmir for kashmiris wow there is no sacred space and back when i was younger they were in military camps but now they are in your localities on the streets everywhere at least 900000 maybe a million soldiers people are unarmed they are civilians they take preteen uh, boys they take girls there are people in prisons women asia andrabi is one of the ones her husband and her they've been in prison for years and years their son is now i think 19 or 21 years old had a dinner with his mom and dad and his mom and dad have never picked up a gun these are political leaders uh, the ratio of military or armed forces to civilians is 1 to 8 within the valley where they're controlling there are 8 million people living within the valley which has been surrounded which is in under siege and there are about 1 million people uh, indian uh, security forces and so you can see the scale of uh, uh, the uh, atrocities that they must be perpetrating one major event where last year's uh, august 5th um, taking away 370 article 370 so how has they they say in from their narrative things have gotten better we know that is not true so i wanted to hear your perspective what happened from august 
fifth of last. One is our own personal experience and the anecdotes, and we talked our families. Uh, even though there is no four uh, G there, it's only two G. Since last year, uh, pretty much all schools have been closed for one full year. Wow. That is uh, preceding COVID uh, since August, August fifth last year. For months there was no, not even two G internet was completely. snapped okay. we could not for the first few uh, weeks talk to our family even on the the landlines were snapped there was no whatsapp there were no phone lines that were working it was kashmir was almost in abyss at the time for us nobody allowed to go from outside no communication you could not from go inside. yes you could not go in you could not come out at that time whenever anybody speaks you are picked up you write a post or you write an article you will go to prison Wow. Here. Not only in Kashmir but even those uh, journalists that are inside uh, India they they are not write anything that's directly critical of India. And international media well, is not allowed to go in. International media are not allowed to go in. Uh, the uh, American Red Cross is not allowed to go in. Uh, no human rights agencies from outside can go in. People wow. are locked inside. It's a martial law, a curfew uh, pretty much all the time. and since the uh, covid came uh, it has gotten even worse that has given india an excuse to shut people inside in the hospitals many of the people that go to hospitals i just spoke with somebody this morning uh, about a couple hours ago he said um, the uh, patient people don't want to go to the hospitals number one they lock their families away in some uh, concentration camp number two about everybody after age 60 70 really never gets out of there really yeah there there is one i think ventilator for 70 uh, you know it was 70000 people or something uh there there are no ventilators there are no, there are no ppes uh testing is sloppy people are under tremendous strain they're left to die or certain- they're left to die and most people just keep them at home in kashmir population is not very dense and uh, kashmir had a, a chance to survive through education and through providing ppes and others and having more doctors with regard to the um, the punishment kashmiris are getting it is because they want to punish kashmiris India is using it as a tool, as a cover, so that they can tell Kashmiris how tough they can be. Wow! All the Kashmiri prisoners that are in prisons across India and in Kashmir, none of them uh, really the true leaders of Kashmir has been released. There were about thirteen thousand that were uh, uh, rounded up on uh, August fifth, within the uh, few days before that and after that. Uh, many have been released but the the most revered leaders are still in prisons said ali gilani is 93 years old he is the most popular leader the most revered leader he spent about 40 years of his life in prisons and now he has been in house arrest for 11 years going on 12 mohammad yasin malik is in tihar jail he's been there prior to the uh, august 5th he is one of the uh, he is the second most popular leader wow. shabir shah has been there for decades i've talked to him once uh, on the phone but i never actually physically seen him there is a, one of the most popular kashmiri uh, attorneys 
is called uh, Mia Abdul Qayyum. He has been president of Bar Association of Kashmir multiple times. He has diabetes, heart disease. He's in Tihar jail in India. Asya Andrabi is she is also in prison in India. They fill prisons so fast that there's there's not enough space in prisons in Kashmir. Wow. So the uh, life is tough, and you know when you try to decapitate political leadership, people are frustrated, and uh, they 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 have to do something, uh, you know, to keep their sanity. So last thirty uh, years have been uh, terrible, and the last one year has been horrible for Kashmiris. Right. So what's the? Is there any solution? What's the hope? What could happen that would change these situations? Well, number one, international community cannot uh, but act at some point at the level of United Nations. We know United Nations Security Council Secretary General has uh, said more than once now that Kashmir dispute has to be um, settled according to the wishes of the people of Kashmir, according to the UN resolutions. Um, European Union has uh, supported Kashmir's uh, right to self-determination. Uh, Pakistan has agreed with that repeatedly. Only country that does not allow it is India. So the world powers have to put pressure on India. Uh, either it is that, or this conflict between uh, Kashmiris and Indians, and Kashmiris and Indians and Pakistanis, uh, is going to turn into a nuclear, nuclear flashpoint. There is uh, there is no way escaping it. China is into the game now. China will not tolerate uh, India's uh, continued occupation of Kashmir because they are threatening it just like they are threatening uh, Nepal and others. India is not as powerful morally right now. They had a semblance uh, of democracy and uh, it was the largest democracy, uh, even though the poorest. But um, now India is in the clutches of uh, RSS and Hindutva. It's not really BJP that's ruling it. It is RSS that's ruling it. Uh, RSS is not, is not going to let them, uh, you know, undo CAA in India and let Kashmir go. But that's the dilemma that India has to figure out on its own. If it continues to uh, keep Kashmir under control, India will probably uh, start disintegrating from within. And then it may have trouble without. Kashmiris uh, have no choice. They can't live with India. And, but India won't let us go. A sustained political struggle in Kashmir and the support from other countries needs to come. We have enough Kashmiri diaspora. Uh, we are uh, rallying uh, you know, uh, people around. Uh, we are using, using social media. And uh, we are you know, asking uh, Pakistan and Turkey and Malaysia and Indonesia and OIC and countries in Africa and South and Central America to uh, come to our support. You cannot live as a nation, no matter how powerful you are, in isolation. Mm-hmm. India will have to face the consequences of the occupation and atrocities. Uh, too much is too much sometimes. Uh, you know, it's, you can go only so far. 
and then humanity uh, comes to rally to the cause of the uh, the oppression uh, oppressed people and we believe that that's going to happen someday and uh, but there's no way kashmir is uh, how and what shape this resistance is going to take india will determine it Nelson Mandela has said it also they will set the um, they'll set the tone of kashmiri movement it's not up to kashmiris to decide whether they want to go with peaceful resistance and rallies and protests and uh, other things or would they uh, you know create uh, more trouble that is i think up to india if they deescalate kashmiris will be so much more comfortable with their resistance but they are pushing the youth to the edge and i think then it is hard to control them because it's an individual is an individual you know it doesn't matter what you confront him with they are going to take lessons lessons based on their life experience dealing with indian soldiers and the political oppression humanitarian uh, oppression i think they are going to uh, not i don't see in my lifetime or in the long near uh, long future term future or near future kashmir is really uh, buckling and submitting very insightful particularly first hand from your experiences and uh, do you feel interfaith connection with hindus could help we did some here uh, absolutely and that needs to be done regardless of whether they support us or not uh i think we i think 2 years ago uh were in uh, invited by the southern south indian group uh called tana tamils uh you know from the south and they invited muslims for an iftar dinner at a uh, public place and they cooked they did everything obviously i think many 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 indians are people like us who have a faith and they have a heart they have a head i'm sure they are uncomfortable in what's going on it is uh, it's hurtful to them i believe uh, right from the beginning in my childhood that hindu sikhs and muslims uh, belong together in many many places and then we come to here and jews and christians where we had a uh, muslim jewish dialogue for the last 5 years here in akron ohio you can't tell a jewish person uh from a muslim person when they speak to each other they talk for each other nice they speak uh, and so i think that's how the christians are doing they have joined us that we have a tri-faith dialogue we do need help and uh, we do need to understand each other and it, it should never be a, a zero sum game there should be always something for the other when when what you do thank you thank you sir this has been uh, i learned a lot and i clarified a lot of confusions that i had felt and i'm hoping that people on these wikipedia pages and all those other resources where a very false narrative has been published gets corrected and we spread more true information and i think more even more hindus and indians get to know the truth they would um confront their government and hopefully we see Kashmiris and everybody um feel equal feel free and exercise livelihood and resume back to normal well thank you so much Dr Meer and thank you so uh, much. 
look forward we'll look forward to learning more from you 